going to the Anthony Gordon show. So I think it's fair to say that we all see life through a certain lens, through our own sort of subjective perspective of life. And that, uh, that gives us a perspective and a point of departure. I think it's fair to say that my very special guest in the studio with us if we can call the studio with uh, the coronavirus with us uh, in a uh, almost uh, miles away from each other, but is a, a person who is one of the most renowned uh, people behind the lens, certainly would be considered, um, in my opinion, and the opinion of many, many <clears throat> around the world, uh, one of the leading uh, sports photographers in the world. Um, if we have to go through the entire bio will be here for about seven hours, so we'll cut it to the salient points. He is the senior official photographer of the NBA. That's uh, going on, I believe, 38 years. He's the team photographer of the Lakers, the Clippers, uh, the Kings, and the Sparks. He is the uh, director of uh, photography for both the, the Staples Center and uh, <clears throat> Microsoft, uh, the Microsoft Center. And I believe he is also the co-founder of a podcast which I think is absolutely terrific, and we're going to talk about the premise throughout our discussion, Legends of Sport. Andrew D. Bernstein, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much, Anthony. I, I wish we were across the table from each other, but uh, we're across the city from each other by necessity, but it's great to be on with you, man. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I think we're across the city from each other, but I think we're very close in terms of the way we see the world and the way we see life. And it's, uh, it's, you know, I think that in a very short time, I realized that there's a very special connection and I'll tell you why. Um, we launched the Anthony Gordon show because as someone who's been involved in, you know, a lot of the, the speaking circuit, um, speaking to a lot of folks on campus, I think maybe disproportionately the millennial generation, the sense was that people are proverbially drinking the Kool-Aid, uh, and there's a lot of messages that are being imparted, you know, which uh, I think cause more damage than good. And the goal is to try and give folks, if you will, tools for life, some arrows in their quiver as we go through this journey called life. You've seen life through an, a unique perspective. You've seen life through, um, as a professional photographer, uh, you've seen, you've pictured, you've uh, some of the most sacrosanct, famous names in the world of sport. I, it dawned on me, um, Andy, when I was sort of thinking about what I was going to, uh, how we're going to sort of set the tone for the show, is that in the public speaking world, which I've spent quite some time being trained in, there's there's two important sort of guidelines. Number one, a good public speaker uh, understands theater of the mind. So understands that his audience um, is is going to be picturing certain things and he's creating a drama and also the notion of a picture painting a thousand words, um, if you can create that picture. So I think our, our uh, 652 million listeners would probably be interested, first and foremost, so we can put this in a context. Andy, tell us a little bit about, uh, I guess, your formative years, your journey at the point at which you said, one second. Uh, maybe I do have some skills with this thing called a camera, and uh, mm -hmm. and if you could take us from there. Well, I uh, 
I grew up in a very creative family, and uh, although my my father was a doctor, um, he was very creative. He was a woodworker. Um, he dabbled around in photography. Um, my mom was uh, was a housewife in Brooklyn, but she also did community theater and uh, was yeah. very active in, in that during my upbringing. So you know, we were exposed to a lot of um, a lot of culture and a lot of creativity growing up. Sure. Um, I, I wasn't particularly talented at anything until I discovered a camera when I was 14 years mm -hmm. old. My dad gave me a camera and we made a trip out to the Western United States to all the national parks. And I ended up, um, I ended up really falling in love with, with this thing in my hand that actually let me see the world through a viewfinder. And it got solidified when I went back to school for my, I think it was my, uh, in 10th grade, I guess, um, my sophomore year of high school. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine had a dark room in his basement. And I used to go over to his house and, uh, and hang out. And he would show me all the great techniques of how you develop film and, you know, the processing of it and the orange light and the whole thing. And then when I saw a picture of mine come up in the solution in the tray. And it was literally right. like magic happening in front of my face. It was truly uh, mind blowing. I got to tell you, it was, it was an incredible moment of an epiphany almost. So I knew that, that somehow or other I had to become a photographer or just, you know, figure out where it was going to take me. So at that young age, I kind of knew I went to a big right. high school in Brooklyn. So we had okay. a, we had a yearbook, we had a, a newspaper, and uh, of course, you know, I gravitated to that. And then once I went to college, University of Massachusetts, I uh, started working very quickly for their local, I'm sorry, our college, our campus newspaper called the Daily right. Collegian, which came out five days a week. And just at this yeah. point in the story, were you, in, mm -hmm. were you into sport as a general sort of, you know, was that was that your thing? Oh yeah, for sure. We grew up with a huge sports family. My family was gigantic Brooklyn Dodger fans, and uh, I always like to tell this story that okay. I was born in I was born in 1958, and that happened to be the same year that the Dodgers moved to Los Angeles. And my dad and my uncles, my That's grandfather, right. were so angry at the O'Malley family for taking their beloved Dodgers out of Brooklyn <laughs> that they. They, that they literally wore a black armband for a year. You know, in the Jewish That's tradition, insane. when somebody dies, you wear a black armband. Sure. Right? And maybe, I don't know. I think, I think you wear it for a week or, I don't know, a month. They wore it for a year. Yeah, so in all of my baby yeah. pictures, <laughs> you see, when you see me in my baby pictures with my family, they're all wearing black oh, armbands. It was very depressing, actually. Oh, I, grew God, up. I thought they were born for me. I didn't know, but um, but we were also we were also very big hockey fans. Uh, my dad had season tickets to the Rangers my whole upbringing, and uh, and we went to a lot of Mets games. So I was a very very big hockey fan, and um, I still am. Actually, I love hockey. Um, and yep. when I went to UMass, we had, you know, it was a Division One A school at that time. It wasn't quite Division One, but um, we had all the major sports. And I gravitated very quickly to not only shooting sports, but shooting news and features and um, uh, fraternity and sorority parties. And, of course, all of these shows and dance concerts and things that we had on campus. So it really opened up my world to the fact that there could be a lot of different avenues I could go with my photography. Sure, sure. But then, but just to continue the story, 
I wasn't getting an education in photography at UMass where I was currently going. It was a great school socially. It was great. Um, but I, if I was going to up my game and learn the craft and the science of photography, I needed to find a school that could actually teach me that. So I went and applied to Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, which was and still is the number one commercial art school in the country, sure. and got accepted. And I moved to LA, and uh, you know things started happening once I came there. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, the I'm looking through a little bit about your your, your background and mm -hmm. some of the the, the the famous folks, if you will. Uh, let's let's uh, touch on the NBA. Mm -hmm. um, Doc Rivers, the uh, the coach for the Clippers, um, his quote in describing you, amongst uh, amongst other quotes, is that he is quote unquote the invisible pro. Am I to assume from that, <laughs> that uh, that's verbatim from Doc Rivers? Is that is that am I to assume from that that a master of the craft of photography, which clearly you are? Is the guy who's behind the scenes, and the star is the you know the, is the subject of the photograph, um, or am I misconstruing the compliment that Doc Rivers? Well, what I've always prided myself on is is being I don't know about invisible, but being very <laughs> very discreet, and what we, what we like to call in my business a fly on the wall. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if I'm calling attention to myself, I'm not doing my job, yeah. and uh, that later on became very well very quickly actually it became evident that that was my niche that i uh, i was very good at establishing relationships and building trust through the Not fact that, that i wasn't going to um make it about me you know That's and good. yeah and so that continued throughout my whole career and of course culminated later on with kobe and, and the project we did together at the end of his career let, let's pick up on uh, <clears throat> let's pick up on your comments of Kobe Bryant, mm -hmm. uh, the late great. <clears throat> his his uh, description uh, of you, Andy, is mm -hmm. and I'm again quoting verbatim from uh, uh, from a article that the Times um, did on you some time ago. Mm -hmm. It's quote unquote. It's Kobe Bryant's uh, words. I would classify him as an artist, not a photographer, mm -hmm. and his vision for his craft goes well beyond it being a profession. Hmm. What do you think he meant by that? Uh, first of all, it's incredibly complimentary. And, um, but what I think about when he says that is <clears throat> one of the things that, that sort of gravitated myself and, and Kobe together and, and kind of, I, I guess, bonded us from the beginning or, was this um, obsession that we both had with our crafts. Uh, yeah, he was yeah. incredibly obsessed with with everything having to do with basketball. And I've been incredibly obsessed with everything about photography and sports. Yep. And uh, Kobe had a great quote later on about obsession, um, sure. which is one of the four pillars of the Mamba mentality, which we can yep. talk about. But sure. uh, Kobe said that if you're not obsessed with what you do, we don't speak the same language. And I think from the start that he and I did speak the same language. I think so, too. And, and, and going back to, I think, the, the thesis of the show, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, and trying to impart some, uh, some tools and, and give some direction and guidance to, uh, I think, a, a generation that's overwhelmed uh, with uh, technology and stimuli uh, is if you 
as someone who knew Kobe very, very well, and we're going to talk about your your collaboration with Kobe, the Mamba mentality, which I think is an absolute masterpiece because I it goes way, way beyond just a <laughs> fantastic book on magnificent mm-hmm. photographs. I think it talks about really what the show is about, giving people some insight into life, and that is, um, what would you say are um, let's say two or three of the main pearls of wisdom that that you think you learned from Kobe mm. uh, that you think may be helpful to our listeners? Well, I, I think, Anthony, honestly, it comes down to the, the, the four pillars of the Mamba mentality, what he wanted to get across through the book, but yep. um, in his own voice. That was what was very important oh, to him sure. about doing this book. It's not a book that I did about him that somebody else wrote. <laughs> it's a yeah. book that we did together in his own words. Um, and those four pillars are obsession. So you have to be obsessed. Uh, these these are the four pillars of the Mamba mentality. Exactly. So okay. obsession. obsession. And then you have curiosity. You have to be curious about everything about your craft, about your profession, right? Okay. Um, relentlessness, which is just never giving up, never stopping, never be, being satisfied with where you're at. The okay. continual pursuit of greatness and strength. Strength being overcoming adversity, um, getting through tough times, uh, getting through an injury, you know, recovering from a horrific um, Achilles tear, which he did late in his career. Strength can also be looked at right now, which which was front and center at his memorial when his dear wife, Vanessa, got up there and spoke to the world in her own voice. I mean, I can't imagine... Sure. Anything that is more representative of that pillar strength than than her incredible courage to do that, and I think the world and all yeah. of us who are in the room inside the table setter were absolutely just in, just in enraptured by one of the most powerful it, eulogies. Uh, it was it was unbelievable. Yes, incredible. So I I, I want to drill down a little bit. I have a question on the four elements of the mum mentality. And that is what, mm-hmm. can you explain what's the difference, at least your understanding between uh, obsession and relentlessness? Ah, well, that's a great question. So, um, you can't have one without the so other. The four elements of obsession, curiosity, relentless and strength. I see right. um, being obsessed with one's craft and being relentless. Mm-hmm. I understand the difference in the term. There's some overlap as well. Yeah. Well, obsession is, is just, it takes you over. Um, yeah. Sometimes obsession leads to an addiction and we, we've yeah. seen that in life. Um, I think it's safe to say that he was addicted to his craft. I mean, he lived yeah. and breathed basketball 24 seven since, since he was six years old and was introduced yeah. to the game in Italy by his dad, you know, um, relentlessness is yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. Of course. Let me move the mic. Is that okay? Yeah. So we could take. Andy, you're too good looking to. uh, Yeah. How's that? Can you still hear me okay? Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Good call. Okay. Um, So I could take it up with relentlessness. Okay. Okay. Are we rolling the tape from relentless? Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, take two. Yeah. Um, relentlessness is, is really <clears throat> being um, never satisfied with where you're at. It's, uh, you know, you could win four championships, but then you got to win a fifth championship. You know, yeah. you could hit a last second shot and then you got to hit another last second shot. Um, so it's really just never giving up, never stopping, never being satisfied, never being, um, never settling. And uh, I think that's really the lesson um, of those two pillars right there. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's, I did a little uh, post. I want to, I want to get your thoughts on this, Andy, you, you uh, mm -hmm. as a, as a, as a good friend of Kobe and someone who spent many, many, many hundreds of hours with him. Mm -hmm. I did a post last night, which um, is uh, on LinkedIn, I think on one of the other social media platforms where I was trying to extrapolate um, from the, some of the life lessons from Kobe, uh, those things that could be germane to us now going through the Corona crisis, the, the, the mm. virus. Uh, and I think these, these are the two that spoke to me and I've got them from your book. And for the sake of our uh, 2.3 billion listeners and, and viewers, this is it right here. That's a relentless plug. This is something <laughs> you can go right now and buy on mm. Amazon. It's an absolute, it's a beautiful, beautiful masterpiece, the Mamba mentality. So these are the two. And I want to see if you think that I am, uh, if this speaks to you as well. Number one, I, I saw page 172 of your book, uh, it talks about, in his, in his multiple injuries throughout his professional career, it says, quote, unquote, I never dwelt. He got, he is injured. He never sat in the corner, perseverated. <clears throat> you know, how did he land? Why did he? <clears throat> this is reality. I'm now injured. <clears throat> now, the question that I've got to ask is not why, because that by definition is, uh, is going to be a circuitous negative, but how? Now, how do I get back on the, so I, the one thing that I, so the, the kernel that I pulled out of that is that in any crisis, um, we can become, you know, we, we talk about flight, freeze, or fight. Mm -hmm. A lot of people freeze, <clears throat> pardon me, or uh, they flight and they, you know, they, they start trying to rewind and just, just a week ago, life was, and that's not living in reality. So he said, this is the new reality. I now have a torn uh, tendon. What do I do from there? The second thing I think I learned mm -hmm. Uh, incredibly powerful uh, was on in your book on uh, page 70 it speaks about um, he realized he had to change his shooting form what I learned from that is and mm -hmm. I looked at uh, I'm a big self-help uh, sort of reader and I looked at if you look at successful people Andy the common thread in almost every single one of them I have found is two major traits one is uh, having grit, which I think is your, the other is the ability to pivot. You've got to recreate yourself. Mm -hmm. I think those are two yeah. that I learned from. I want to get your thoughts on, uh, on with the, whether you, you uh, agree with my analysis. Yeah, I, I totally do. I mean, when you talk about him having to change his shooting style, why was that? Well, because he had broken the index finger on his shooting hand in three places most notably at the very tip, which is, you know, where the ball has to be controlled from. And uh, um, the great trainer, Gary Vitti, who uh, knew Kobe, you know, since his rookie year, 
he knew that he had to devise some kind of apparatus so that Kobe could still play, but that that would take Kobe to have to learn how to play with that apparatus that he would put on his finger. There's a picture in the book mm. that shows the that, that bandage, which looks like a simple bandage, but it really isn't because the inside of it is is kind of sculpted in a way that it allowed him to to use the finger, even though it was so badly damaged. Um, so that that speaks to a pivot right there. I mean, otherwise oh, the alternative to that is that he he can't shoot. So what's he going to do? That's his job. He's got to he's got to shoot. Um, and then when it comes to grit, I mean, I it, he, I've been around guys with a lot of grit in my career, and I'm sure you have too, um, and in life in general. But I don't think there's really anybody that has ever crossed my path who had more grit than this guy. Um, Everyone says that about Kobe. I mean, the the the, the, yeah. the resilience. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he he just wouldn't look. He said it at the, when he injured the Achilles, which came in his uh, I think it was his sixteenth season. Um, a lot of guys would have hung it up. You know, he'd made a lot of yeah, money. Yeah. He'd won his championships. Um, you know, maybe it's time to go. Maybe that was a sign from above that, hey, you know what? Body's breaking down. Time to go off and do something else. But he did not want to have an injury define when he was going to leave the game. He wanted to go out on his own terms. And he made that very clear after the initial shock of, of what happened um, within less than an hour, he had already scheduled the surgery. He was ready to, to get in, you know, onto the rehab plan and move forward. So he worked very hard during the rehab to come back. And he came back as strong as he was. And we all know how it ended with him dropping 60 points in his last game. Exactly. Just talk to us for uh, a minute or two, Andy, because I think the listeners would be very interested. Just the, the, the whole journey in putting this book together with Kobe, the, uh, how long did it, how long did it took you and, and uh, the extent of how you actually, in practical terms, collaborated? Well, it, it's kind of an interesting story here, my friend. Um, Kobe announced his retirement in November of uh, his final year. So we still had the entire season to go. You know, it was uh, I, I traveled with him basically for the rest of the season um, and was a fly on the wall in all the arenas that he went to at the last time, his final all-star game, uh, all that stuff. And as we were getting towards the end, I just kept thinking about the the body of work that I had produced on him over 20 years. Um, you know, I'd been with him since day one when he was 18 years old and been with him, you know, through every up and down and every championship and MVP and Olympic team. What's that? Yeah, still am. He ran on yeah. the court the very first time. Yeah, exactly. I, I took his very first picture, official picture as a Laker, which was his headshot on media day in 1996. So when I thought about this body of work, you know, I shot hundreds and hundreds of thousands of photos of him. And of course, the best of those photos were out there and being, um, you know, gobbled up by the public and being published. But, but there was a lot of stuff that hadn't been seen before. And um, when I talked to him about it and his team about it, 
it just seemed like a natural thing to do a book. And, yeah. and I wanted to do a book of basically some unseen photography, but also some of the more well-known um, photos of him that I had taken. And he very patiently sat there and listened to my uh, presentation yeah. and my pitch. Yeah. I, I went down to, to his office and I was in this yeah. conference room with it the rest of his marketing team. I prepared a big giant presentation of actual photos, you know, that he could go through. And he, uh, he went through this big book that I did and very patiently and, and respectfully closed the book and looked right at me and, and said, Andy says, um, this is great, but um, I got some good news and I got some bad news for you. (laughs) And I said, okay. Um, What's the good news? He says, well, the good news is we're going to do a book together. <laughs> that said, is great. That's that's great. That's what I want to hear. I said, what's the bad news? He yeah, said, well, uh, well, not going to be this book. <laughs> it's okay. not going to be this book you just you just put in front of me. He said, nobody wants to see beautiful pictures of me. And I said, well, I kind of, you know, beg to differ here. But whatever you say, Mr. Mamba, I'm, I'm <laughs> down with it. And uh I said, what kind of book do you want to do? And we spent about another hour and a half or two hours kicking around ideas, which he had already formulated the idea of what he wanted to do, which was to tell his story, what made him tick, what made him the black mamba, what the mamba mentality meant through his own words and through my photos, plain and simple. So that's how the book was born. And then it became a very hands-on process. He's not the kind of guy who, who just says, okay, go do it and bring me back the final copy. Yeah. He was involved from every aspect of the book to who, who the designer was going to be, who the wow. packager, of course, the publisher, what it was going to look like, how, what photos were going to speak to what he wanted to talk about. It was very challenging for me because um, – as you might imagine, half of his career, 10 years of his career happened before the digital age. So we had to go through tens of thousands of photos back at the NBA photos office in New Jersey, finding specific photos that spoke to the elements of, in the book that he was referring to. And um, it was it was difficult. It was uh, agonizing at times. But I would say we found probably 90, 95% of what we were looking for. I had a great uh, group of people helping me back there in New Jersey. Yep. And um, we were both very happy with the end result. And that's yeah, that was the most important thing. Absolutely. So we, before I pivot to legends mm-hmm. of sport, uh, mm-hmm. can you share with us the, the last conversation you had with Kobe? Yes, I absolutely can. I um, I was in Paris uh, in uh, the third week of January, um, and it happened to be a Thursday. And he uh, he and I, well, we had entered the book um, into a few a few competitions. In fact, the publisher had entered it in this one specific one, which I wasn't even aware of, called the uh, PX Three which is an actual competition that just by coincidence was based in Paris. And I got a, an email comes across and it says, congratulations, your book has won the gold award, number one best book, photo book of the year. And of course, you know, that you didn't even know. <laughs> I, I, did, I honestly didn't know that it had been entered in there. And um, so I immediately uh, called the publisher and they said, Oh yeah, we entered that. We, we forgot about it. it was months ago, you know, that we had entered it. 
And so I texted Kobe, of course, and uh, I said, um, hey, this is such great news. I sent him the link and then he texted me back. Um, yeah, we did a pretty good book, didn't we? And that was the last I heard from him on Thursday and on Sunday he was gone. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a huge void. And I, I think that's might be um, uh, an opportunity for us to segue. Uh, mm -hmm. We have left to tell us a little bit about uh, Legends of Sport, the platform. I love the yeah. concept. I think that's sort of the, uh, in some ways, the glue that put us together. What, mm -hmm. What's the thesis? What do you, uh, you, what do you want to achieve? Uh, I think one of the first discussions that we, we had is that uh, I've been uh, work, working on and focused on helping uh, a lot of athletes make a transition from mm -hmm. the court field into a, and uh, I think there's a commonality, but I don't, I don't want to take uh, the words out of your mouth because I, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. so if you could give us w w what you're trying to achieve with legends of sport and, and the premise of the, of the uh, podcast, if you will. Yeah, for sure. Well, legends of sport was, was, um, sort of came together, Oh, maybe 12, 12, 13 years ago with, yep. uh, two, two very good friends of mine, both in the sports business, um, at different ends of the sports business. And, uh, but we're very good friends and we were sitting around, um, during the baseball all-star weekend in, in, uh, Arizona and Phoenix. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but you know, guy friends of mine who are kind of my age, we don't really sit around and sort of project where you're going to be 10 years from now. You know, my wife and her friends do that and they have these girly conversations, which are great, you know, but guys don't, you know, in my, in, I think we, in my experience, we, don't, we don't really do that, you know, yeah. but we, you know, we, had, we had had a couple of drinks and we were feeling great. It was a great, great kind of bonding experience for us. And so we started to kind of spitball where, we want each wanted to be 10, 15 years from, from that point. And a, we wanted to, we agreed. We wanted to work in sports in some way, shape or form. B, we wanted to work with people, not for people, but with people that we really want to work with. Yep. And C, we wanted to give back in some way. So those are the three elements. And from that, we just kept having conversations over the phone or whenever we got together and, some months later, we just came up with this idea of helping athletes, um, primarily athletes uh, who are retired in different sports who had fallen on hard times or having a difficult time making ends meet, for example. And I, I've been exposed to many, many NBA events where, where they parade the legends out, yeah. the greats of the game, most of them Hall of Famers. Right. And... Obviously, they're there because they need to make a buck. Right. Um, they want to be remembered in some way. And it, it's it's sad for me to see that happen because I know how great these guys were. I saw all of them, many of them play, you know, firsthand. Some of them I didn't. But I just found it kind of sad that that this is kind of what they're reduced to at this yeah. point. All the Halls of Fame, God bless them. They're wonderful and they, they – they induct these athletes and they give them, you know, accolades and they give them a jacket and a ring. Right. But frankly, after that happens, there's not a lot that happens for these guys in terms of marketing them or giving them uh, ways to, to make income or be remembered. 
Yeah. And it's, you know, it's wonderful to have a bust or your photo or something, you know, memorialized forever. But we thought this, there's got to be, it's got to be another level above Hall of Fame. Right. So I went back and had a conversation with Kobe about it. And uh, I said, Kobe, you know, some partners are in I formed this company called Legends of Sport. Uh, and we just in a problem. Really, Roughly, when did you speak to Kobe about this? This was probably, uh, well, let's see. This was probably five years before he retired, right? And I said, just want to get your opinion on this, you know, because obviously you're going to be retired at some point. And, uh, he, you know, he's still far away from retirement. But, you know, how do you, how do you view the Halls of Fame? And how do you view the fact that once your career is over yeah. – you know, you're going to be maybe 40 years old, which he ended up being 40, but you know, you still have your whole life in front of you. And of course he, he was preparing for that. You know, he was very smart and was preparing for that, but a lot of guys didn't prepare for that. Mm -hmm. and, and I said, I want to be able to give back to have some, some channel, some way to help these guys and, and women, you know? Um, and he listened patiently and he said, look, he said, he's, you're trying to do is very altruistic and wonderful, but there has to be a, a business model behind this. The, there has to be a, a platform of some kind that, that sort of will fuel the foundation aspect of what you're trying to do. And, on that point, by, by the way, Andy, it just speaks to a uh, mm -hmm. sharp, sharp businessman Kobe was. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and he was right. And he said, look, when you, when you define what that is, yeah. that's going to be your launching point. Right. And, and I also said to him, and, and he, he actually agreed with this wholeheartedly. I said, Kobe, but think about once you retire and, and you're in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, right. um, where, where do you go from there as an athlete? Because that's the pinnacle of somebody's career. They're, they're inducted in the Hall of Fame. I said, right. where, where would you ever have the opportunity to mingle with uh, Wayne Gretzky and Joe Montana and uh, Mario Andretti and Pele and Billie Jean King. And, and he looked at me, he says, you know, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> he said, maybe the only opportunity I'd ever have to do that would be backstage at the ESPY awards or something. Right. But there, and I said, well, it seems to me that there needs to be some other level above the halls of fame, which bring the, the icons of all the sports together. together. And he liked that. He liked that idea. And that's where we're headed with Legends of Sport. However, I did take everything he said, as well as great mentors that I've had. You know, I, yeah. our, our mutual friend, Errol Gerson, was one of the earliest people that I talked to yeah. um, at the business aspect. I talked to Peter Goober, who, of course, yeah. you know, nobody greater than Peter Goober in sure. terms of sports acumen and, and business. And I got... A lot of information, as well as my other partners, um, you know, and the people that that they're affiliated with, and um, we decided that our launching point would be a content platform okay. led by our podcast, which is called Legends of Sport. Which we've now have done sixty podcasts. We're about to launch our third our third season. It's very so very. Kobe, soon. Kobe saw obviously the genesis of this whole thing. Yes. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. For sure. And together with. Launching with the podcast, we also launched a social media campaign primarily through Twitter and Instagram. So we've been very successful with that. Been very happy with the response we've gotten for the podcast. I've had some, you know, A plus list guests. Oh, that's uh, 
the the social media has has really exponentially grown yeah. and now we're at the point of and and i'm going to leave you with a little bit of a, a you know a hanging thing here but Thank we're you. about to sign with a very major um platform out there a content platform who's going to take us into another level wow uh, with our content. So very, very happy about that. I wish I could announce it on your podcast first, but I, it, the, <laughs> the story on the Golden Show. Yeah. <laughs> the coronavirus got in the way of us finalizing, but uh, hopefully very, very soon we'll be able to do that. That's fantastic. So okay. I, I want to say but, the wrap up, but, but I did want to say that we are going to be releasing podcasts during this whole crazy crisis. Oh, and then people should stay tuned on our social media on legends of sport on Twitter and at legends of sport um, on Instagram. And we'll be announcing that very, very shortly. Brilliant. Okay. So I think here, here is the, the one question I try and ask all my guests, mm-hmm. Andy, that will be very telling I mm-hmm. think, uh, uh, of, of yourself. And I think the commonality that we have, and if you were, if you were given the chance to take, Three of your photographs, mm-hmm. all three of your photographs, to a desert island, and enter <laughs> in <laughs> in the uh, photography competition of the world. Yeah. Which which would those three photographs be? Well, I have four kids, right? So I'd probably <laughs> you know, but uh, <laughs> really a hard question. Um, you know, I'm sitting here looking at a lot of my Kobe photos on the wall. Because, uh, I yeah, just need I, them up there to, to keep my my mind sane right now. Um, there's one of in the Mamba Mentality book. There's a photo of him in, sitting in ice, um, icing his Not exactly his, that photograph. His bad finger. Yeah. That to me is the the ultimate statement of what the Mamba mentality actually means. Cause like all the elements of the Mamba mentality are actually in that photo. That would be one. I probably, the one of Michael Jordan holding the trophy with his dad yep. next yep. to him. And, um, you know, the photo of mine that a lot of people love and, and will remember is magic and bird sort of intertwined yeah, together um, during the finals. So, you know, those would probably be the three. Um, if those were the only three I was allowed to bring and, and leave, <laughs> You know, on a, yeah, on a desert can. island or on the moon, those that would probably be. Uh, I'd be happy with that. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I, uh, as we wrap up uh, and trying to try and be uh, respectful of uh, your time, the producer's time, um, I think it's just to remind our listeners: this is a coffee table must. It's a it's a sensational uh, production. It's not only a book. This is this is something uh, that definitely paints. This is the picture that paints a thousand words. Uh, Kobe Bryant. Uh, Andy Bernstein, Andrew D. Bernstein officially talks about, I think, a lot more than outstanding uh, examples of a craft of a, of a world-renowned photographer. It talks about a life philosophy of Kobe. Uh, I think folks should take a look at Legends of Sport. I think brilliant. I love the idea. And if we talk about legends and legacies, uh, I will say this much, Andy, and uh, you have uh, added a incredible dimension to the the lives of thousands of people you've honed your craft to the point where you know you've achieved the zenith in in uh, uh in your particular craft and i think uh when you uh look back in the photographs of your life and people your 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 family and kids do that i, I have no doubt that we'll see uh, a legacy of a life well lived 
uh, and uh, the, the world is certainly a better place uh, for Andy Bernstein having been in it. And I look forward for you and I, no question, uh, to uh, continue the journey to, together and collaborate on some of the ideas that we've discussed. I thank you for your time, and I look forward to uh, the, uh, the journey together. Thank you, Anthony. And uh, be well, be safe to you and your family. We'll, get, we'll all get through this together. We're all in it together. Yep. And uh, this will, will come out better for it, I'm sure. Amen. Thanks.